The Cappuccino Podcast brought to you in association with Tactical Solutions. For all your tactical solutions, check them out at www.tactical.co.nz. It's that time again, so grab yourself a cup of joe and get ready for the Cappuccino with Constable Brian. So my guest for today's cappuccino is Lorna Sabritsky. Lorna has spent three decades in the television and radio industry in New Zealand. She's a radio host on Coast FM. She's a media commentator, an MC, a speaker, a voiceover artist, an actor, a travel writer. She's a pink ribbon ambassador for New Zealand's Breast Cancer Foundation, a mum, a grandmother, an optimist, a lover of life. In 2016, she was diagnosed with DCIS ductal carcinoma in situ, breast cancer. She beat that but last month was diagnosed with an aggressive grade 3 tumour that has spread to her lymph nodes. She's currently in chemotherapy but still working and advocating awareness to others. So it's my great honour and privilege to welcome Lorna Sabritsky to the Cappuccino podcast. Very big welcome to the Cappuccino to Lorna Sabritsky. Um, Lorna, when we did a speed round for the Cappuccino dedicated to Keanu Reeves, world's best police movie of all time, Speed, he's John Wick, he's in Bill and Ted. That's just the way it works. So, uh, seven random fire questions to get you uh, up to speed, so to speak, because you've just come off your nine till three shift. Uh, last, last song played was the Doobie Brothers, I noticed. Okay, <laughs> so there you go. You can't say I wasn't listening. So, what's the one song that always gets you up? Oh, I'd have to say Prince, 1999. Oh, actually, I'm going to change that. Prince, Let's Go Crazy. Great, no problems. Uh, fantastic album as well. Last book you've read is what? Um, the last book I read, um, I'm trying to remember the name of it, honestly, because I'm, I'm, um, yeah, I'm a little bit chemo-brained at the moment. We'll probably no. talk a little bit later, but um, I, I am reading trashy novels, and I don't remember the name of any single one of them, but I think it was called What Eden Did Next. Um don't ask me if I recognize it. I was going to say, it sounds like a Mills and Boons, but that's all good. <laughs> it wasn't that bad, but oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, right. um, who should the next James Bond be? Oh, well, I want to be who it's not allowed to be, and that's uh, Idris Elba. But um, no, let's go with him. Okay. Let's go with him. Yeah, you, you can choose. Uh, one thing you can't live without is what? My family. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was going to be the answer. Okay, <laughs> so Desert Island, you can take three things. Three things apart from food and water. What are the three things you're taking? You've got to stay there for four days. Oh, gosh. See, ordinarily, I'd say my um, GHD hair straighteners, but um, I need them at the moment about as much as you do. Um, <laughs> yeah. I trust me, you'll save a fortune on combs as well, just quietly. Yeah, what did you say? Four days? Yep. An island? Um, gosh, that's something like Atataki. I don't think I'd need much at all. Uh, maybe um, a little sunblock? Um, yep. Um, my Kindle, because I do like I do like reading. Um, that's two things, and and an eye mask. So when I want to have a little nap, you know, you can block out those rays. Perfect, good work. Okay, so dinner for five. Who are your five guests? They can be anybody from history as well. Well, I wish you'd let me um, prep for this, because now I'm going to look like an idiot when I don't choose the people that are later on. I'm going to uh, pick. Yeah. yeah. Uh, five people. Five people. Um, I think. Um, Matt Hurry. Oh, yeah, Matt Hurry, yeah, yeah. 
Now, I've read a biography of Mata Hari, and she seemed like an amazing woman. And, um, you know, she was executed for being a spy, a, a double, well, a, a double spy. But in actual fact, I don't think that was the case. I think it was just she found herself in a position where she was courted by very uh, wealthy and influential men on both sides of the war. So definitely Mata Hari, absolutely fascinating woman. Um, Prince, you know I'm going to have to have Prince. Yeah, of course you are, yep. Um, that's a given. Um, how many five did you say? You've got three left. I, I hope I don't have to cook for them. I'm not a terribly no, good no, cook. No, 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 you're all good. We'll order in. We'll get Uber Eats for Mata Hari and Prince. Yeah. Okay. Um, who else? This is really difficult, really difficult. Actually... Because she's a recent passing, and I think she's an amazing woman. Um, she was an amazing woman for breast cancer um, advocacy, and also just everyone who met her seemed to just love her. Olivia Newton-John, let's have her at the dinner party as well. Yep. Um, I think Prince would probably quite like her. Um, <laughs> and, oh, boy, Brian, you asked the hard questions. Know, um, yeah. You know, you think I would have thought about this, because it's one of those classic questions, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Um. Let's go with Martin Luther King. Yep. Um, for obvious reasons, like yep. just such an incredibly influential person in history. And um, oh, and if we're going with giants in history, let's go with Nelson Mandela as well. I hey, couldn't argue with that. That's all good. Okay, now because you emceed the ice cream and gelato awards for New Zealand last night, see, I watch. Yeah, I see. <laughs> yeah. uh, can you tell me what your favourite flavour of ice cream is? Ooh, yeah. See, I used to be a Neapolitan girl, and I agree very um, boring um, but my favourite ice cream at the moment is one that won one of the big awards last night and that is called um, Speculoos and it's from Little Lato so they're a boutique ice cream company they took out the Supreme Boutique Award last night and it's the first time in the 25 year history of the, the awards that a gelato has taken up that top spot and it is to describe the flavour it's like a salted caramel gingerbread right. gelato and Little Lato Speculoos, hunt it down. It is worth right. a bit of effort. You've got a lifetime supply somewhere. I'm going to come and see you. I can tell. Um, <laughs> right. Okay. Now, you've got one of New Zealand's most, most distinguishable voice, voices. People hear you in commercials, don't even realise that it's you. The such like, how did you get started in radio? Because you're a little bit like I am. Your family came to New Zealand. You're a family of immigrants. Um, you probably didn't plan on it when you, when you arrived in a new country, I'm guessing. Um, so how did you get right. your start? Well, it's actually quite a funny story because um, my dad's a journalist and originally I wanted to be a journalist as well. I, writing was my thing. So I went to university and I did a, a uh, literature degree because I was going to go and do the postgraduate um, journalism course at Canterbury University, which was highly, highly regarded. Um, but in my third year of university, I discovered that there was also a broadcasting school in Christchurch, and I quite fancied myself uh, on the radio um, And when I was 21. Um, so I applied for broadcasting in school, and they said, well, your voice is terrible. You'll never make it on the radio, <laughs> but you're a good writer, and there are writing jobs in radio, so we've got a place for you at the school. So off I went, and um, I became a, a copywriter. Then I became a creative director. Then I became... Weirdly enough, in a bit of a leap, I became a sales manager. Then I became a general manager. Uh, at 30, I was running uh, the biggest radio news organization in the country. And um, and I was part of our company's big senior management team. I was, you know, I had the big shoulder pads, the power suits, you yeah. name it. 
Um, but the fr frizzy hair like I had in the 80s? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had amazing hair in the 80s. Um, but on the sly, I was doing voice work, thinking, screw you, broadcasting school. I'm making some money out of this. Yeah. So I doing voice work and I also um, started doing some TV presenting work as well uh, in between because I kept sort of, I had my first child at 30 and I became self-employed for a while and then I'd go back to a proper job and then I'd be self-employed again. So I'd do all sorts of things, news reading and, and uh, commercial voiceovers and this, uh, TV presenting, the family health diaries, I presented those for years on TV, um, you know, selling inappropriate products while you're trying to eat your dinner. Um, <laughs> and it was only in my 40s, in fact, I think I was 40 when I met you, Brian, um, at Big FM, and I started doing a couple of weekend shifts there, yep. um, a very short-lived Auckland radio station, but um, I, yeah, I thought this was kind of fun, and then um, I think I was 42 when my ex-husband came over one night to pick up the children, we shared custody, and he's at AUT, he's a um, radio lecturer there, and he goes, I think I might have found you a job if you want one. Um, this radio station, are looking, they're looking for a woman about your age, and it's 10 till 2, so it fits in with the kids. And so I became a radio announcer, uh, something I'd always dreamed of doing later in life, and very unexpectedly, thanks to my lovely ex-husband, um, but I have worked in radio all my life, so I've been yeah. in radio years but i've only really been on the air 10 years boom look at that from the top of the ladder to mrs johnny fever and less than 10 <laughs> outstanding there's only going to be a few people get that, joke. that is great yeah uh, now i know lots of people i'm going to kill a few myths here for a few people because lots of people assume that radio announcers can play anything that they want yeah yeah um and very often most of the announcers i know musically their taste is all over the place right you've told us you're a massive prince fan anybody who knows of you knows that you're a massive prince fan but musically how would you describe your music taste so if we came around to your house and you put an album on what album are you likely to put on one of one of your favorite albums of all time oh again yeah music tastes all over the place i mean we get to listen to a lot of things um i like a lot of the new music that's coming out today you know i've got a 13 year old a 22 year old a 24 year old so i I get exposed to a lot of the newer music as well, and I love that. Um, I mean, I love pop song. I mean, I love a good pop song. But yeah. back in the day, you know, I was quite—I consider myself quite alternative. I like the sort of the, the gothy bands in the eighties and the ska bands and all that kind of stuff. So I'd say that you know, there's not a genre I've met that I haven't liked yet. But um, but for me, it's got to have a—it's got to either have a really good melody. Or it's got to have um, really good lyrics. I don't. I don't mind a good lyric, um, or a hell of a bass line. Um, yeah. I'm not interested in angry songs particularly. Um, no. Just because I'm not as interested in angry things particularly. Um, so ragey songs uh, aren't my jam. But you know, if there's a good, you know, heavy metal song that's not about rage, then yeah. sure. I'm up for that as well. So yeah, and that. no, don't get to choose our songs. We we they're all programmed for us. But we have a wonderful music director here at Coast who actually takes suggestions. And if I ask if I can play something, he's going to generally sure. Or we'll add a song. I go, we heard this song in the weekend. I think we should be playing it here on Coast. And we'll go, yeah, good call. We'll test it. And um, and we do. We test all our songs. So we don't just play stuff that we think you want to hear. No, exactly. We market and go do you like this do you not like this and sometimes there are some surprises yeah not wrong now like we've said you're a massive prince fan you were lucky enough to see him 
in Auckland, probably, I'm going to guess it was about three or four weeks before his... It was um, six, six weeks before he died. Yep, right. So is there any other artist that you wish you had seen live that you haven't seen live? There was one left on my bucket list, actually. One. Because I don't know how I've never seen him live. And it's not that I'm a, you know, oh, my God, I must see this person. But yeah. he is what I call a living legend. But getting older. Um and then suddenly he announced he's coming to New Zealand very, very soon. And that is Billy Joel. Boom. So there you go. I was there on the website as soon as the pre-sale went live. Tick, 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 and getting oh. my ticket. Um, so I'm thrilled that I'm able to take that one off the list. Prince was my big one. And, and amazing that I got to do that. But then, you know, I thought about who else do I want to see? Who else would I travel to see? And mm-hmm. I thought with Billy Joel, I was going to have to go to Madison Square Garden, yeah, which yeah. I- pretty amazing um but hey he made it easy for me no not wrong and i remember seeing elton john and billy joel together oh. yeah what I, why did i not go to that i can't remember why i didn't go to that but there must oh, have been yeah. a reason and i have to be honest here lorna and i don't really want to say this but billy joel wiped the floor with elton john on that night perhaps sir elton was having a bad night i don't know hello okay so um one of your strengths as an announcer is that you love to share with your audience be it from your daily wordle score uh <laughs> To current events at home. I beat you in Wordle today, by the way, FYI. Uh, there is no false persona as such, because you and I both know, um, for lots of people, they come out of the studio and it's almost like a different person. Um, what When you talk and you natter with your audience, everybody says you should picture somebody. Who do you picture when you're talking to somebody? Because you have some very, very deep and uh, topical conversations with your listeners. I, I know, because I'm one of them. Um, yeah, so who who are you picturing in your head when you're talking? All of us or just somebody? Well, I try to think of everybody. I mean, there's close to 400,000 people listening, so it's, you know, that's yeah. a lot of people. Um, yeah. But generally, I mean, you know, I think of our target market and I think about what I think people will be interested in. And, and I'm basically an embodiment of our target market. So, I, you know, what am I interested in, really? And yeah. what am I hearing about because let's not talk about that and also guided by the fact that coast is a feel-good radio station so that means you're not going to hear any whinging from me we'll no. save that talk back uh, when you're sick of talk back and the negativity you can come on over and listen to to my show but it's not to say that we don't talk about deep things but because as you say we do but just not just not all that negativity because hey there's enough of that out there i reckon um but generally i picture my bestie sitting across the desk yeah. from me and we're just having as you say, a bit of a natter and um, setting the world to rights. Because, of course, uh, we know. Yeah, <laughs> know everything. You can solve everything in five minutes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly right. Now, most people uh, who do radio voiceovers, um, when you talk to other people who have never done any of that type of work, they have a very sort of rose-coloured view of some of the conditions that you work in. And you and I have both done voiceover work in a cupboard almost let's be honest literally (laughs) yeah literally yeah yeah or with your head under some blankets so that it doesn't echo too much um what's been your biggest gaffe on air in your career biggest gaffe on air this is gonna sound terrible i can't even think of a gaffe but i can't i can't really think of a gaffe i can tell you my most recent gaffe go on then because I was just mortified, and again, it's because I'm, you know, my brain's not fully working properly at the moment. But um, I announced the other day that Maggie May by Rod Stewart 
was written by a woman that he lost his virginity to. Of course, it was actually written about the woman he lost his virginity to. But I said he wrote it by the woman. And, you know, listeners will leap on that immediately because it's so clearly daft. Yeah. Um, I think they're cutting me a little bit of slack at the moment. So um, they, they were fairly kind. But, yeah, I, I was just mortified. I'm like, oh, my God. It's like, it's like Rod Stewart 101, and you've really screwed that up. But, you know, hey, the good thing about radio is it's gone. Yeah, it, exactly. it made, Let's yeah. move on. Yeah, it's up in the ether. It's all gone right now. Your show starts. You go from nine till three. That's a really long time for one person to be running that show. Um, and you come in from our um, on the tailcoats of a high energy show. Um, let's be honest. I, I've been to your studios. I've done some stuff with you and um, Jason, Sam, and Tony. Um, how do you manage to keep yourself up for it? Because it's it's not every day's bang is Friday, is it? Let's be honest. It's not, no, that's true. Yeah. Um, I don't really know. I mean, I, I I think I'm a pretty positive, upbeat person anyway, so I don't have to do too much of that faking it till I'm making it kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, you're right. It is a long time, and um, and I won't bore you with the, with the details. But I actually do three shows simultaneously. So I do an Auckland show, a Christchurch show, and a nationwide show. So oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so there's all those little bits of uh, uh, local stuff in there as well. But um, I guess I'm just a nosy, curious person. And so I just apply that to the show. So I'm never short of content, never short of content. And I also love a good story. Yeah. You know, I um, mentioned Sir Elton John before. Well, I was looking for, I played Candle in the Wind today. It's part of our um, Coast Feel Good 500 countdown. And I thought, I want something about Candle in the Wind that nobody's heard before. It's one of the most, but how am I going to find that? So I found an interview that Sir Elton John had done back in 19... Um, 74 and he, the bit I found was genius because he wasn't talking about the song he revealed he was arrested here in New Zealand did you know yeah. that yeah well I heard the piece where he yeah, yeah. and he said you know yeah. New Zealand they're so Victorian and they don't like English people and I, I, it was just yeah so my natural curiosity leads me into these little bits of uh, bizarre content that presumably nobody knows because um the boss was in the studio at the time when that audio played, and he went, I never knew that. So, yeah, well, yeah. yeah, you're not wrong. Um, and you are, dare I say this, um, you're old school as well. So, there's a lot of knowledge in your head as well, without going straight to Mr. Google to find out one little, you know, lots of bits and pieces and everything else. Now, speaking of which, you have met some very famous people in your sort of broadcasting career. Who's been the most amazing, famous person that you've just gone, you know what? I can understand why everybody loves them. Oh, that's a tricky one. Um, some of them are, are, are really quite unusual. Um, the person I was actually most thrilled to meet, um, people may never have heard of, and that is a woman called Pam Ayres. Oh, you know yes. Who? I know yeah. Pam Ayres, yeah, famous poet. Yes, yeah. She's sort of like a West Country poet. She was, I'm from England, my mother's from the West Country, and my grandmother's absolute favourite was Pam Ayres, and we used to listen to Pam Ayres and watch her TV show, absolutely loved her. So when she came to New Zealand, I got to meet her, and um, I wrote her a poem, which I performed to her in her style, <laughs> which must hate, but she was so gracious and so lovely, and I just thought, um, my grandmother's, uh, you know, long since passed away, but I just thought how proud my grandmother would have been, so that was a big thrill for me. Um the funniest interview I've ever done, and unfortunately I didn't get to meet her, but we did it over the phone, was Miriam Margulies. Um, oh, yes, yeah, I've read a book, fantastic lady. 
banter from Blackadder. She's on the Graham Norton all the time. She's hilarious. She's a complete potty mouth, so I had to do a lot of editing afterwards. But she was just an absolute delight, and she's so naughty. And I love someone with a little bit of a naughty streak. Um, but, yes, very, very famous. But the, the, probably the most famous people I've met, and I met them together and got a photo with them together, were Mick Fleetwood and Bob Geldof. And just like your Elton John and Billy Joel story, I can tell you that one of them was an absolute gentleman and the other one was a word we cannot use on this podcast and yes. you could probably figure out which one was which. Yes, yep, yeah, I can, yeah. I, yes, I've heard, I've heard that story. I've heard that one of them was looking at their watch as the other one wanted to stay forever just basically to continue to talk. So. I before they're looking at his watch, there may have been swear words involved and <laughs> toys, toys being thrown. But Oh, dear. Yeah, tragic. All right, now COVID was a kicker for us all. You yeah. had a particularly uh, horrible time of it. You lost your brother during the pandemic um, and you missed an all-important ultrasound in December 2021 because of COVID backlog. Um, how did you cope? One, how did you cope with COVID to start off with? Um, because that was a rough time. And two, how do you remain optimistic? I mean, we had to in the police, but... How do you remain optimistic to your audience over that COVID period too? Because well, let's be honest, those were uncertain times for all of us. Uh, yeah. A lot of the country was in lockdown and there you are playing something like Earth, Wind and Fire, Let's Groove and trying to remain upbeat. So how, how did you cope? Um, actually, I think having to go to work every day saved my sanity, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, but I look back on, on the lockdowns um, as the most humbling and important time in my radio career, because the feedback from people was incredible. No one listens to the radio, you know, with a big group of people. No. They're alone. And so that connection is so, so strong. That's why people think they know me. That's why people people all the time go, oh, next time you're in your Plymouth, I've got a bed made up for you. <laughs> you know, you know, pop in for a cup of tea. Um, and I would, you know, no reason why I wouldn't. Um, but the calls that we got, the texts that we got, part only a tiny part of my job's going, that was Earth, Wind and Fire, and this yeah. is David, and woo, Elton John got arrested. Only part of my job was that. Most of my job was answering phone calls off air and texts from scared, lonely, sad people. And mm. so, you know, I became a little bit of a psychologist I suppose you know I'm, I'm not that's you know, I'm not pretending that I've got any skills in that area but just listening just listening to people just making them feel heard and making them realize that they weren't alone and um the feedback from this is like well, I got cards sent afterwards and presents from people going you have no idea what it meant to have you there with me every day during lockdown so like I say an absolute privilege for me um yeah. for those lockdown times you deserve it all, lady. That's all I'm going to say. Um, the number of people that I've spoken to about doing this podcast today, and they've all said, oh, the lovely lady from Coast FM, so take it all. Oh. You deserve it all. Yes. Right. Now, how the hell, I say this because I do podcasts and police work and I'm a dad and everything else, but how the hell do you juggle your day-to-day -day life? You're a mother, you're a grandmother, um, you are fighting cancer, then you're hosting your radio show. Plus, you pop up as a media commentator on the odd occasion as well. Yeah. Um, you do travel writing. Do, yeah. you, do you have, like, the world's best planner in your handbag? Um, do you have a diary? I, that... Calendar, like everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How do you juggle all? Because I look at it and I'm like, 
we're roughly about the same age. I'm like, there's days where I have to have nana naps on the couch because I'm totaled. And I just look at you and I'm like, my gosh, she's there again. She's amazing. Well, I'll be honest, this week I'm quite tired, which is unusual for me because last night, yeah, the Ice Cream Awards, the night before I was doing a webinar for the New Zealand Breast Cancer Foundation, I've been quite ill this week, just a cold, which I yeah. never get colds, but because, you know, the chemo and everything else, my immune system's a bit hammered at the moment. Um, so this is me at my lowest ebb, but we've got a big function at work, so I've got to stay at work, you know, a little bit later today as well. Um, I don't know. I don't do sitting still very no. well. Um, this all makes me sound like fabulous, so I'll tell you the downsides of all this. Yep. I'm one of those awful people that everybody hates. I'm late. I'm, I'm late to things. I've got better. Um, and apparently I read somewhere that if you're late, it means you're an optimist because you always think you've got time to do one more thing before you have to get out the door. And I always think, Auckland traffic's not going to be that bad. And then every time I go, oh, my God, what was I thinking? Of course, Auckland traffic's terrible. Um, so I'm getting better at timekeeping because I realise that for some people, it's that most people consider it the height of rudeness. So I'm trying to be better at that. Um, and... I need deadlines. I'm a terrible procrastinator. So, you know, my boss knows, everybody knows, if you want me to deliver um, a travel story, give me a deadline. Yeah. Because I'll do it the night before. I was that person, you know, who wrote my essays at 4 a.m. <laughs> the day they were due. So I'm a little bit like that. So those are the downsides of being the busy, busy, busy person that I am. Um, but I'm trying to be better with that as well and get a little bit more organised. And at the moment, because I am going through the chemo and I'm about to start, one week today, weekly chemo. I've been doing it three weekly for three cycles, and then I'll start weekly chemo. So who knows how that will hit me. So I'm trying to kind of pair back on my commitments, going, do I really need to do that? Do I have to go to that movie premiere? You know, be a bit sensible. Smart, very smart. Now, one of your roles is media commentating, and it's very often when I hear people commentating um, in the media, it's like walking on a razor's edge, to be fair. Um, when you comment on like polarizing events or something else like that, has there ever been a topic that in true Kiwi style you've been approached about and you've gone, ah, you know what? Yeah, nah, that's too much of a hot potato. I'm not going anywhere near it. Or do you like to push the envelope? Because um, I've heard you talking um, as a media commentator and sometimes you're, you're the most level-headed person there, um, which, I mean, yeah. How do you, how do you juggle? I mean, how do you, can you choose your topics or do you actually sort of say, actually, you know what, we're going to pass on that one? Is there any topic that you've actually thought, no, it's just, there's too much in that for me? To uh, it hasn't with my media commentating so much. Um, I, I really have a firm rule that I don't like to discuss my own politics. Yeah. Um, and I don't particularly like to discuss religion because I think that is entirely personal taste. And of course, everyone else will ram their, their ideas down your throat. I've got yes. very firm ideas. Um, but I don't think it's helpful to tell people what those are. I don't think that really makes a bit of a, a bit of difference. Um, but I can tell you one subject that because I tried talkback for a while. I don't know whether you know that, but I oh but yeah, I, I did. I heard you a couple of times. I, was like, oh, I did yeah. do um, uh, a full week of it actually, and it was filling in for Leighton Smith over summer. So what an audience! Um, and I thought I was going to love it. I'd always wanted to do talkback, um, but. Ooh, it's interesting it's quite difficult um and i decided one morning because we weren't getting uh, many calls that i bring up the topic of abortion and let's just say i live to regret that one uh, because <laughs> i put my ideas out there and 
yes, there were some firm ideas coming back again as well. So, um, yeah, that's probably not one I would necessarily want to debate. Um, right. But I guess that probably loosely would fall into my religion, uh, you know, not wanting to talk about that as well. So, uh, yeah, those are the things I've learned over the years. Smart lady. Right. You know, you also travel right as well. So apart from yeah. New Zealand, where's your favourite place on earth and what's been your worst travel experience? My favourite place on earth is Rarotonga. Um purely because, and I suppose it's, you touched on how busy I am, purely because when I go there, I can just switch off. Uh, to me, you know how some people have a batch, you know, mm -hmm. they can go back weekends, well, I don't have a batch. You know, I go to Raro, uh, so I've been there 15 times, I think. It's just like, like a little New Zealand, but warmer and sunnier, and the people are amazing, and yeah, so that's my favourite place on earth, but um, every new place I go is 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 exciting for me, and I always, ha I always have this thing, you need something to look forward to. And for me, travel is my thing. So I'm planning a big sort of trip to Europe next year when all of this treatment is over, uh, where I can go to some places I haven't been to yet. Um, so I've been to Italy, but I've never been to Venice. And I collect um, uh, antique um, Murano art glass. So I'd love oh. to go to Venice and go to Murano and see the glass uh, blowers there, even though the modern stuff is not what I collect. Um, and I've also never been to Barcelona. I'd love to go to Barcelona. Um, so that's on my list as well. And so at the moment, I'm kind of looking at maybe a cruise that might cover both those places. But um, did you ask me what's my favourite place I've been to? Yeah. And what's your worst travel experience? Hmm. Um, I, I haven't had too many bad travel experiences. Um, but I was lucky enough to go uh, on a, a work trip to France about five years ago now. And um, my bags got lost. We had to go to uh, Paris, but then we were getting a connecting uh, flight to Lyon to get on this river cruise. And um, my bags got offloaded for some reason at Charles de Gaulle Airport. And that is the most hideous airport in the world. Um, and well, except maybe fill the one in Nepal, um, but and, and nobody wanted to help me, and and it was you know thinking I'm not going to have any clothes for an entire river cruise because uh, <laughs> the bags aren't going to make it. But it was just yeah, trying to get some assistance when you don't speak the language. I mean, I did schoolgirl French for a couple of years, but that's not much use with people who are just not interested in helping. Mm. So uh, yeah, that was probably my worst travel experience. Um, um, but so many highlights. I just I don't even really think about that one. I, there's just, yeah, everything new that you return from has got to be good, right? Not wrong, not wrong. Now, now, tragically, you had a friend die from breast cancer. And when you're at your funeral, you vow to get a mammogram. So yeah. in 2016, you get diagnosed with DCIS breast cancer, and you kick that to the curb. You're a pink ribbon ambassador for the New Zealand Breast Cancer Foundation and frequently appear for uh, web chats and events and seminars for them and, and your Pink sisters, see, I've been reading. Um, why do you think, though, why do you think that so many New Zealand women miss their mammograms? Yeah, there's there's a lot of New Zealand women who aren't even on the um, the free screening register. So you get a free mammogram every two years, between 45 and 74. Um, the Breast Cancer Foundation, though, says if you can afford it, you should get one every year from 40. Um, and I'm having them every year, COVID notwithstanding. Um, anyway earlier diagnosis um 
but there's a lot of women not on the register and unfortunately a lot of at-risk women um, Maori women Pacifica women um, there's a potentially a modesty issue mm-hmm. uh, potentially a getting there issue um, the Breast Cancer Foundation is working really hard to reach um, women in very remote areas of New Zealand. There's a pink caravan that we're just about to start launching some fundraising for so that we can reach um, women in very uh, remote locations. Um, but I also think there's a large part of it is women in general are brilliant at looking after other people, mm. you know. Have you had your prostate cancer check, love? Have you know? Yeah. Has little ones had their dental checkups and we're running around after everybody else? And we often don't put our own health, particularly preventative health measures, um, like like mammograms, we often push them down the list. You know, mm. oh, it's just a checkup. I'll I'll do it next week or I'll do it next week. And it time goes by. So the great thing about getting on the register is you get those reminders, but then you have to follow it up. And and I really don't want Kiwi women to get their reminder being one of their friends dying as I did. Um yeah. I, I'd really like women to kind of go, you know what? The best thing I can do for my family is is make sure that I'm okay. Yeah, not wrong. Um then in May this year, you finally get an ultrasound due to COVID backlog that you were due to get in December. Uh, and you find out you've got a grade three aggressive tumour in your other breast and cancer cells in your lymph node as well. When you were told, what was the first thing that went through your head? And were you pissed at the fact that you'd missed that ultrasound because of everything backed up? I mean, the first thing that went my head, to be honest, was why the hell were they, was the nurse ringing me to tell me this while I was driving to work? I was literally mm. in traffic. Yeah. And she goes, results are in. And, and you know... Yes, I'd had the biopsy and everything, but I'd had two, lots of women have, you know, lumps all the time that are biopsied and they're fine. I've had two other lumps that were biopsied and they were fine. So I just assumed in this instance, it'll be fine. So um, it was a hell of a shock. I mean, I, I just, um, yeah, I kind of went to bits a little bit, actually. In the I think I was in shock. Uh, um, but I wasn't angry about the delay because... Who knows? Who knows? This was so aggressive, this tumour, that when they ultrasounded it, they thought it was 25 millimetres. When I had it removed, and that was only a matter of weeks later, it was 38 millimetres. Mm. It was fast. It might not have be, even been there in December. So then I would have been, you know, this Christmas before it might yeah. have been covered. So the what-if game, I'm not interested in woulda, coulda, shoulda, you know. Oh. Um, all I can do is kind of look forward. Um, and so... You know, they've told me I have a really, really, you know, no one can give guarantees, of course, but a really good chance of beating this. And I fully intend to. Um, I've got a long road ahead. Um, so there's chemo, as I said, another 12 weeks is about to kick off. It's a weekly one. After that, I've got radiation, uh, radiotherapy. After that, there's 10 years of, of hormone drugs and some other hormone treatments as well. And then I'm also getting genetic testing because it is my second time of having breast cancer because my brother died of cancer as well um they want to do some tests and so i may even have to have um you know more surgery down the track because at the moment to be honest you couldn't even tell that i've had any surgery i'm no. sort of, you know kind of yeah. look, look as as the same as i ever did um but yeah a double mistake to me a single mistake to me it all might be on the cards down the track but all of that is quite overwhelming so my oncologist's advice and it's very good she gave me two bits of advice a don't google Kind of people, it's, a bit late. it's a bit late on that one um, <laughs> right, don't google um and secondly just take each step at a time and so that's what i'm doing so i've done those first three 
three-week cycles, about to start the 12 weekly cycles. That's as far as I'm looking ahead at the moment. Perfect. And after surgery, like you said, to remove the tumour and the 18 nodes, you're now going through several months of chemotherapy. But in true Lorna, the eternal optimist style, instead of exiting stage left, because let's face it, some people would just say, you know what, not to hell with it, I'm done, but just leave me alone. I just need a little bit of quiet time. Um, you start posting about your diagnosis um, <laughs> all right, and your hair loss. Um, what was your yeah. reasoning behind it? Because, I mean, one of my favourite movies of all time is a movie with Michael Keaton and Nicole Kidman in it called My Life, where he's he finds out he's got cancer, but he's got a son coming on his way. So he basically sticks up a video camera and teaches his son how to shave and how to talk to girls and all that type of stuff. Um, what was your reasoning behind putting it up on social media and talking to people about it, Lorna? Apart from the fact that I'm a classic oversharer anyway, um, <laughs> I think it's because... In a way, it helped me deal with my own fear about it. The only people close to me that have ever had chemo have all died. Um, and it doesn't look like I'm, that's going to be my outcome. No, and it's I not think, your outcome. And I think it's, we've got a little bit of a fear of that stuff. We've got a little, there's a little bit of stigma about it. And I just wanted to show that actually going through chemo or going through what I'm going through that doesn't have to define me. I can still be Lorna the Explorer. I can still be Lorna Sabritsky, the radio host. I can still be Lorna Sabritsky, the mum. I can still pop up everywhere. Just a bit balder, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, yep. um, and, yeah, you, you only ever hear, it's kind of like um, childbirth. You only ever hear about the terrible childbirth stories. You never hear about the ones that were, you know, fine. fine. Like, fine. You know, you never hear those. So I kind of, yeah, it also, I guess it was a way to, a lot of people were asking me questions and, and I was kind of inundated with questions and, and, and the like. So I, it was kind of a way to kind of go, well, if you want to, I'm not going to bore all my listeners about it. No. I'll tell them a little bit about it. But if you want to know more, here's this video, go and watch it. So rather than ramming it down people's throats, it's there. It's there if they want to know the nitty gritty, if they want to know where the hair falls out and where it falls out first. I'll talk about that. That's fine. But, you know, you only if you want me to. Yeah. Now, you're well, obviously, you were well known before for your blonde locks. Uh, and you gave cancer the middle finger nice and early. I loved it. I was laughing. Um, my wife said, what are you doing? I said, I'm looking at Lorna, tip pulling her hair out. Um, and you got a big pink mohawk before it even took its grip with chemotherapy to basically give cancer the middle finger. What's that hair journey loss been like? Because, I mean, I know I'm, I'm bald anyway, but um, I know you've had lots of fun with wigs and hats and everything else. And, much like me, your hat collection will be going through the roof, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's like, here, I've got something great for you. It's like, oh, it's a hat. Awesome. Um, it must have been really tough, though, especially as a female, to lose your hair. How did, how did you find that? Has that been one of the hardest things? Um, actually, surprisingly, no. I thought it was going to be. My lovely hairdresser cut my hair short for me and, and coloured it pink. Um, and I thought it was going to be very emotional, but it wasn't so much. What was more emotional, because I actually love that short pink hair. I'm, I'm going to go back to something similar after all this is over. Um, when that came out, now I only had that two weeks. When that came out, that was quite sad. The bald head is, because it's not just what it looks like, it feels weird as well. It, the, the follicles, it feels, I don't know, it feels very really cold. It feels... Um, 
And I mean that not not cold here. Yeah. I'm not, probably not explaining it properly, but when, when the follicles die, it's very sensitive is maybe what mm. I'm trying to say. Um, so that's actually been quite hard. Um, and other things that you don't realise, like all the hair goes from up your nose, which means that your nose constantly runs even when you don't have a cold. Yeah. Um, and I've still got a few eyelashes left now, but once those go out, you know, you can't filter the grit coming no. into your so all those sorts of things um, have been a surprise. Um, but, you know, there's medications to help with everything. I've got dry eye ointment. I've got nasal gel. Who knew um, that that was such a thing? Um, yeah, there's kind of something for all. And you know what? I'm actually having so much fun at the moment with, with wigs and hats. And this sounds so sad and it sounds like I have no life. But I wake up every morning going, oh, what am I going to wear today? It's kind of like, you know, a costume party every day. So I actually start planning my outfit with... A hat. So I haven't worn this one before. It's got my little pink flowers on the side. <laughs> that matches this dress, and that's how I dress today. So yeah, it's that's got to take your silver linings, right? And someone at work today went, "I felt so bad last night. I was drying my hair and thought, lucky Lorna doesn't have to do, do any of this anymore." And she goes, "I felt so terrible, but um, actually, I save so much time now and so much money. So silver linings everywhere." Yeah, exactly. And like telling you here is just done. I know, yeah. I know that I know you've been overwhelmed with all the support and the aroha that people have shown you. Um, and I'm just going to say this now, Lulu and Max, keep doing what you're doing. Constable Brian loves your mahi. Um, what's been the biggest positive out of all of it so far? Because there has been some big positives. Um, gosh, there have, there have been a lot of positives. Well, the biggest positive for me is that this was found when it was treatable mm. um another few months another few more lymph nodes who knows um so that's the biggest positive for me um but the really selfish and awfully egotistical positive is you know what they always say you know um it's a shame you miss your own funeral well it's kind of like i haven't because people have just been so amazing people i don't even know have sent me messages saying um you know what my radio show means or or just sending beautiful messages of support and you mentioned my pink sisters earlier that's what I call them um I've met two women in the last couple of months that have just become like we've just become closer than close and it's because as supportive and loving as all your friends and family can be it's a lonely journey mm word journey but I can't think I still haven't come up with a better word for it um, it's quite a lonely journey and nobody gets it like someone who's really got it you know yeah. so um the pink sisters has been an amazing thing and you may know about the um the dragon boating teams that they have um I'm, I'm when all this is done because you're not allowed to join while you're going through treatment but I'm going to join a dragon boating team because th those women there it what I say is it's a it's a club you never want to be part of but the members are awesome can't argue with that now with all the like you said with all the internal thinking you're doing at the moment what are you doing one to keep positive because you are you're always positive two to keep your mind off the grind of what you're going through and three i know i know some friends of mine who've been through chemo they've kept the journal and they look back on that journal so that they're grateful when they get through their treatment about just about everything they say if ever i'm having a crap day I go back to my chemo diary and go, wow, check that out. Um, so what are you doing to, to keep your mind off it and stay positive? 
Yeah, actually, I've been sent three beautiful gratitude journals to record all my thoughts. And you know what? They're all completely empty. Um, haven't done any of that. I guess my videos are kind of documenting uh, the journey in a way. Um, I, I think what we've, what we've already discussed, uh, um, things I'm doing, uh, A, researching every woman cruise and, and, <laughs> and European trip or whatever so I can plan that ultimate trip next year. I love doing that. I love, you know, going, ooh, what's out there? And so that's keeping my mind off things and, and keeping really busy. You can't sit and dwell on your problems no. when you're busy. And, and, you know, working for me, uh, my oncologist says she's never known anyone like me that just wants to keep working through. But work to me is a tonic. When you come into work every day and you've got amazing colleagues like I do, when you're playing really upbeat songs, when you're talking about fantastic things, when your listeners are as wonderful as as ours are, um, why would I sit at home feeling sorry for myself? Yeah. You know, what crap on TV when I can actually, it, it is a tonic. It actually makes me feel better. Yeah. What's been the biggest surprise about the whole journey so far? Um, I mean, I watched a video of you talking the other day about medical costs and support and pink sisters and everything else. But what's been the real, the biggest surprise for you that if somebody had said to you, oh, hey, you're never going to believe this, but when you do chemo, this. Ooh, I don't know. I think probably the biggest surprise for me is that I haven't been that sick. Um, you always think of chemo as making you really unwell. And there are really um, good anti-nausea drugs now in fact there's, there's, there's good everything now and if one doesn't work there's another one that can work and whatever but I've been really lucky in that I haven't even really needed those um and that's because I think in part my oncologist said that women who don't get morning sickness tend to go through chemo better and I didn't get morning sickness with any of my three pregnancies so I think that, that was something I didn't know and yeah, I thought that you automatically had to be really ill if you had chemo. And I, you know, yes, I've got a cold at the moment, but um, uh, yeah. but that's not really, it's related to the chemo, but it's not related to the chemo, if you know what I mean. So, yeah, I, yeah that was probably my biggest surprise. So when the 21-week 21 21 chemo is finished and the radiotherapy is over and you get the green light from your specialist, and you will, what's going to be the first thing that you do? Well, I'd say crack open some champagne, but actually... Um, I'm still having the old glass of champagne. Um, oh, I tell you what, now this is wonderful. This is one of my new pink sisters. I told a story, and you might have seen it, that my um, oncologist said there was a drug that was making me feel a little bit kind of like spaced out. And she goes, oh, I'll swap it for another one. I'll swap it for Dom Perignon. And I thought, champagne? But actually she said Domperidone, which is something completely different and is another anti-nausea drug. Well, a friend of mine saw this, a new friend, and the surprise turned up in the courier, and it was a bottle of vintage Dom Perignon, a $400 bottle. Wow. But, and I'm, I'm like, when am I ever going to have an occasion to break open? I can't possibly drink it. And I thought, you know what? I will do that with yep. my treatment. So there you go. I will open the champagne, but I'll open the really good champagne. Crack it open, right. So before I say what au revoir to you, uh, I've just got to say this. If you are in New Zealand, Breast Screen Aotearoa New Zealand offers free national breast screening program for women aged between the age of 45 and 69. You can find out more at www.timetoscreen.nz. Women have a 95% chance of surviving breast cancer five years or longer if cancer is discovered by a mammogram. So please 
make sure that you get it done. Support the Breast Cancer Foundation at breastcancerfoundation.org.nz. Lorna, keep on doing the amazing that you're doing. Please keep posting those videos. Uh, you're the eternal optimist, and I will see you soon, and I'll give you a big hack. Thank you, Constable Brian. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening. But please do Constable Brian and I a favour and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on the next Coppuccino podcast. Real people, real stories.